Micah chapter 6, starting from verse 1. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you, or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, proposed, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the child of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of Yahweh calls out to the city, and it is wise to fear your name. Pay attention to the rod and the one who ordained it. Are there still the treasures of wickedness and the cursed short measure in the house of the wicked? Can I excuse wicked scales or bags of deceptive weights? For the wealthy of the city are full of violence, and its residents speak lies. The tongues in their mouths are deceitful. As a result, I have begun to strike you severely, bringing desolation because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied, for there will be hunger within you. What you acquire, you cannot save. And what you do save, I will give to the sword. You will sow, but not reap. You will press olives and not anoint yourself with oil. And you will tread grapes, but not drink the wine. The statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house have been observed. You have followed their policies. Therefore, I will make you a desolate place and the city's residents an object of contempt. You will bear the scorn of my people. How sad for me, for I am like one who, when the summer fruit has gathered after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat, no early fig which I crave. Godly people have vanished from the land, and there is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. And when the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. The day of your watchman, the day of your punishment is coming. At this time, their panic is here. Do not rely on a friend. 
Don't trust in a close companion. Seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arms. Surely a son considers his father a fool. A daughter opposes her mother, and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The uh, second reading tonight is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, and that can be found on page 1116. So 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. Thanks, Elsie. Um, Good evening, everyone. My name's Andy. They don't let me normally come to 5 p.m., so it's a privilege to come and uh, uh, look at this great passage with you. We're in our second last week in 1 Peter, and we're looking at 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. So keep uh, 1116 open as we look at that. Um, Why don't I pray for us before we do that? Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are a speaking God. We praise you that you are not silent, that you uh, do want to reach out, that you do want to speak to us and to change us. And we pray, Lord, that you might do that this evening. We pray that you would unblock our ears, that you might soften our hearts, that your spirit might bring life to your word and write it on our hearts. Please mold us and change us into the likeness of your Son for our good and your glory. Amen. Well, I want to start by reading an email that was sent to me uh, this week. I don't normally do this, but I thought, I'll take the liberty, you know how it is. Um, It goes like this. Dear Andy, I don't usually like to complain, but they all start like that, don't they? Um, I think my Christianity is broken. I mean, nothing seems to be going right. I knew following Jesus would mean sacrifice, but this is just ridiculous. My love life is a joke and I'm still waiting for the punchline. I'm trapped in a job I hate. I'm the only Christian in the office. I thought that I could make Christianity cool, but my colleagues call me the Pope. I'm jealous as I watch my non-Christian friends having the times of their lives. My Christian friends seem to have it all together. And I listen to my Christian friends tell me my struggle will be worth it. 
but really will it? I thought that when I became a Christian that God would bless me. I thought having a relationship with the creator of the universe would be better than this. I keep asking, uh, why doesn't God just do something about it? I feel forgotten. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I'm over it. Can we meet for coffee? In Christ, Milson McMossman. Um, in case you hadn't realized, that wasn't a real email. I know there's a few people getting nervous. Uh, is he going to read out my email? <laughs> no, I won't do that. Uh, not a real email, but very real concerns, aren't they? Very real struggles. And the question is tonight, when we think, I'm over it, how do you respond to that feeling? How do you respond to hard times? How do you respond when you're crying, God, what is happening to me? Uh, When you're asking, God, why have you left me on my own? Uh, When you're crying out to God, just do something about it. How do you respond to times like that? And the question is, do do you freak out or do you trust God? Uh, When you suffer because you're being a a visible Christian, do you keep being a visible Christian or do you withdraw and cloak yourself in camouflage? Uh, This week, uh, again, we are uh, looking at our passages, looking at suffering for being a Christian. Uh, Two weeks ago, in the previous chapter, that was the same theme. And the suffering that Peter is talking about here is specifically suffering for following Jesus. So although it applies to it, he's not talking about general suffering for, uh, caused by bereavement or illness or just the general hurt of living in a broken world. This passage speaks to that kind of situation, but it's not specifically about that. It's speaking specifically to a group of people who were being persecuted because they were Christian, because they belonged to Jesus. Now, we're not talking uh, uh, about uh, the state-sanctioned, widespread, YouTube-worthy kind of persecution. Uh, The people that Peter was writing to, the Christians in now-modern-day Turkey, scattered throughout um, now-modern-day Turkey, they were under the uh, rule of the Emperor Nero. And later in uh, Emperor Nero's reign, he used to burn Christians. But that happened uh, later in his reign. This is uh, early days when the general world didn't really get Christians. They were this weird sect, this weird sect of Judaism. And they just really didn't get them. So the persecution that we read about in 1 Peter is, if you like, low-level persecution. So Peter talks about slander, malicious talk, false accusations. And that's where this letter hits us. Uh, Because whether we know it or not, whether we hear it with our ears or not, if you belong to Christ, then people around you will slander you. They will talk maliciously about you, possibly to you. They will spread false accusations. So the Christians that Peter was writing to, uh, were the, 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 the false accusations were that they were cannibals because they did things like the Lord's Supper and ate the body and blood of Jesus. So they said they were cannibals. They didn't get them. And they said that they were incestuous because these Christians uh, used to marry their brothers and their sisters. Uh, they didn't quite get them. In fact, the term Christian, we get it in 1 Peter, is a, was a, originally a derogatory term like Bible basher, like the God Squad. So it's that kind of area that we're talking about, low-level persecution. And 
They love a persecution. But it goes, it goes slightly broader than that. And I think Peter is talking about the persecution and the suffering that we face because we've said yes to Jesus and no to certain things. Uh, because we've said yes to Jesus, we might have said no to certain material things in our lives. We might have said no to certain career advances. We might have said no to certain relationships. And that hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. Following Jesus has a cost. And this passage in front of us doesn't paint a pretty rose-tinted picture of the Christian life. It wants to set our expectations rightly. And that's important, isn't it? Because if we don't, we'll think that something has gone wrong, that God has abandoned us, that his sovereignty has somehow been thwarted, or that he has just left us in the lurch. So Peter sets our expectations with this passage. And he wants us to look beyond this world through our suffering to the glory that awaits every single Christian believer. That's what he wants to do. If you're one of these people who likes to take notes and write down the summary sentence of the sermon, uh, let me read out my summary sentence. It's a combination of verses 12 and 19, and it is this. Don't be surprised when suffering for Jesus comes, but entrust your soul to your faithful creator. Don't be surprised when suffering for Jesus comes, but entrust your soul uh, to your faithful creator. This passage is one packed full of hope. It doesn't paint a pretty picture of the Christian life, but it is jam-packed full of hope, designed to give us an injection of hope this week as we go into as we go into our weeks, as we go into our workplaces, so that we can stand tall for Jesus and be visibly Jesus and vocally belong to Jesus. So I've got three uh, little points that Peter gives us, designed to give us hope through the suffering into the glory that follows those who follow Jesus. So first point, don't be surprised. Know you're on the right path. Don't be surprised. Know you're on the right path. Uh, That's verses 12 and 13. Let me read uh, verse 12, though. Verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Uh, First thing I want us to do is to memorize verse 12. I was going to stop and do a little kids activity between us. But what I want you to do is go home and memorize verse 12 because we so easily are surprised, aren't we, when hard hard times come as a Christian. If you read the Gospels, we shouldn't be surprised, if you read the Gospels, uh, you will see that following Jesus is hard. Uh, Let me read uh, Mark chapter 8. Peter, um, Peter, who wrote this letter, uh, was Mark's best mate. Mark wrote the biography of Jesus' life, and he records Jesus saying this about following him. Mark 8, 34. He says, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, that is not a pretty invitation. It is an invitation to die. Come follow me to Jerusalem and die with me. That's what Jesus says to his followers. And Peter in his letter reminds us of the cost of following Jesus. Do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes on you as if something strange was happening. Uh, We do get surprised and we shake our fists at God like he's broken the service level agreement, don't we? We had our internet broken in the office for the last two weeks and we have been on the phone to TPG 
shouting at them because they've broken their service level agreement with us. And we're like that with God, aren't we? When hard times come, we shout and wave our fists and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Now, we should do that. The Psalms are full of people shaking their fists at God. And we should vent our spleens at God. But the challenge is, do we freak out or do we trust? Do we run from God or run to God? Do we keep quiet in our lives about Jesus? Or do we speak, keep speaking up for Jesus as we face suffering for speaking up about Jesus? The, 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 the picture that Jesus paints is a pretty depressing picture. Come die with me as my follower, if it were not for the hope uh, that the followers of Jesus have. Now this um, term, fiery ordeal, that we have there in verse 12, we've learned a lot about this fiery ordeal back in chapter 1. We've heard that God keeps us through fiery trials. So he says that every Christian has been born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that hope takes the form of an inheritance that is being kept for us for eternity. Nothing can spoil it, nothing can touch it. And as God keeps that inheritance for us, we are being kept for it. We're being kept for it through these fiery ordeals, through these fiery trials. And as God keeps us for our inheritance, everyone sees just how good God is and glorifies himself. That's the pattern that Peter set up uh, right from the start. And so Peter says here, expect the fiery trial. That goes with the territory. This is the authentic Christian life. Expect the fiery trial. Do you see uh, why this is happening to us? Verse 12, uh, when the fiery trial comes among you to test you. Uh, this, is, this is a test. We learned that back in chapter 1 that our faith is being tested. So as God keeps us through hard times, our faith in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, will be proved to be the genuine article. And God will be glorified. Now it's important that we get our expectations right of the Christian life, because we could become disillusioned. I was in a, um, a led a small group a number of years ago, uh, a group of people who'd done a course to look into the basics of Christianity. And this group had come out of this, um, they'd come out of this course thinking that the Christian life was going to be sweet. We're now going uh, to have the time of our lives. God's going to bless us. We're going to have uh, uh, riches and success and all this kind of thing. And they, a year into the Christian life, they realized that this Christian life is hard. Uh, so we didn't do what we were meant to do in this little uh, group. We studied the the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter says, do not be surprised when this fiery trial comes. We should expect trials. We should prepare for them. We need to get our theology right so that uh, when we're not in them, so that when we are in them, we can indeed not freak out, but trust in God, entrust our souls to the faithful creator. Uh, Peter's Peter's purpose in writing this letter is so that we would stand firm through these trials and know that we are on the authentic Christian path. Nothing weird is happening. Nothing unusual is happening. This is the authentic Christian path through suffering to glory. Now, Peter doesn't want us, did you notice Peter doesn't want us just to stand firm? He doesn't just want us to stick it out. You see the weird thing there in verse 13? Let me read it. 
Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. So not only stand, but rejoice. That is a weird thing, isn't it? That is a weird thing. How can he say that? Now, he doesn't say, I want you to enjoy the suffering. He doesn't say, uh, come up to open encouragement when we have those weeks and say, I really enjoyed when my work colleagues called me a bigot this week. Uh, It doesn't say, uh, I really enjoyed saying no to that promotion because I knew that they wouldn't let me go to Bible study or to church at the weekend. No, we're not to enjoy our suffering, but we are to rejoice in our suffering. It is uh, possible. And uh, you notice that in verse 13, we get two reasons, two sources to rejoice. And they center around the two comings of Jesus, the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. Uh, so have a look at the beginning of verse 13. We see the, fir- the, 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 the promise for now centered around the first coming of Jesus. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah. Now, do you see what Peter is saying? Is that as you are persecuted, as you are Go through suffering because you've said yes to Jesus and no to other things. Because you go into a hostile work environment where people call you names behind your back. uh, Where people accuse you of things that you haven't done. Uh, You are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It's hard to comprehend, I know. but We are somehow sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I wonder what uh, email Jesus would write to his pastor. And you think about it, oh, had a terrible week, uh, got done over by my mates, came to save the world, they tried to kill me. This wouldn't be a pretty letter, would it? Well, we share in the sufferings of Christ if we are Christ's. And we are to know that sharing in the sufferings of Christ is authentic Christianity. There's no gloss here, there's no health, wealth and happiness. Uh, we share in the sufferings of of Christ. Well, the second reason to rejoice is there at the end of uh, verse 13. It's for the future, for the second coming of Jesus, so that you also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. Uh, there is a day in the future when Jesus will bring us our inheritance. He will come down from heaven and give us our inheritance, restore this creation and create a new creation where there will be no mourning or pain or crying or suffering. Those who are Christ will go there for eternity, and that will be a great day. Now, I know it's a a, a real mind warp to get our heads around that day. Uh, Kim and I, my wife and I, were chatting about this last night and just go, it is so surreal. My life is full of deadlines and stress and dirty nappies. It's pretty hard to focus on the second coming of Jesus, right? Uh, But it's a bit easier to focus on a day of joy that we've had. Think of the last day where uh, your heart was turned uh, turned up to 11 and you felt really good about what was going on. You were surrounded with friends or whatever. You were doing... Uh, the hobby that you loved, and you just thought, I want the clock to stop now. I want this to go on forever. Well, times that by a thousand million. That's the uh, multiplication that my kids use when they want to create a big number. Times it by a thousand million, and that will be what it will be like for the Christian on the day when Jesus returns. 
and he opens the door to a world where there is no pain or mourning or tears or crying. It will be an amazing day. And Peter says, look through your suffering. Rejoice that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ and look forward to that day when Jesus comes back and he opens the door to that world for us. Don't be surprised, but rejoice. Well, secondly, uh, the hope that Peter has for us to inject us with hope is uh, don't be ashamed. No God is with you. Read with me verse 14. Peter says, If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Uh, We often feel stitched up when hard times come, when suffering comes. We feel stitched up by God. Uh, We can often feel ashamed of God that we've said uh, yes to this weird Christian life that has meant that uh, we stick out like a sore thumb uh, amongst our friends in the decisions we make. Peter says, don't be ashamed. The hardship that you are facing, the persecution that you might face in our world is the very sign that you have the Spirit of God resting on you. Uh, Many people boast about the marks of the Spirit, don't they? Uh, Do all these uh, unusual things. Uh, Not many people boast boast about their suffering. But Peter says here that your suffering Uh, Because you are Christ is a mark that the spirit of glory, uh, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That is an amazing thing. It's an allusion to Isaiah chapter 11 that talked about the spirit of God coming on Jesus. Now Peter says, you Christian, you have the spirit of God and you know that because you are being ridiculed because you have the name of Christ. It's extraordinary. Let me illustrate. Um, So it's extraordinary. Uh, but when, when you think about it, it is the proper experience, isn't it? Um, if we have the Spirit of the living God with us, we're not left alone, we have the Spirit of God living in us, then we should expect the same treatment that Jesus had when he had the Spirit of God living in him and walked around uh, as the man Jesus in first century Palestine. He got loads of grief, didn't he? Persecution just came his way, and all he wanted to do was save the world. Let me illustrate, uh, let me illustrate that. I saw an interview this week with uh, James Corden and Justin Bieber. And um, anyone knows, everyone knows Justin Bieber, a uh, famous pop star. And this interview uh, took place in a car driving around Los Angeles. And they interviewed, this guy interviewed Justin Bieber, and they went into shops, and they went into public. And everywhere that Justin Bieber went... Uh, follows uh, everywhere that Justin Bieber went were screaming fans and photographers, fans wanting to touch him, photographers wanting to take his picture. Well, in the same way, when you and I take the living God around in us, uh, into our days, into our weeks, we're to expect the same treatment that Jesus received. Now, the, the interviewer could have stuck Justin Bieber in the boot and could have uh, disguised him and pretended Justin wasn't there. And that would have avoided uh, the photographers and the screaming fans. Well, in the same way, we can lock God in the boot, can't we? We can pretend that we don't belong to Jesus as we go into the office. We can keep quiet about the fact that we uh, belong to the living God. We can uh, mute the spirit of the living God if we choose. 
But Peter says we should do no such thing. Because there is no such thing as an invisible Christian. Verse 16, uh, you are not to be ashamed, uh, but know that you have the spirit of glory resting on you. Now, uh, there is a verse, uh, verse 15. Uh, we need to tick the box on verse 15 because there is a certain kind of suffering uh, that we shouldn't suffer with. Let me read. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. So if you are suffering here tonight and you have caused that situation because you have done something, then you need to repent. If you're suffering here tonight and it's completely come upon you, then you need to trust that God is sovereign. You have the Spirit of God living on you and run to Him and trust Him. But if you are, if you've done, if you've created that situation, you need to repent. You need to repent. I wonder what um, one of those things struck you the most as I read them. Uh, you should not suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. I wonder which one struck you the most. Uh, a number of people have said to me they've been challenged uh, by one Peter because they have been stealing, um, downloading, and stealing uh, in, uh, videos off the internet. Perhaps that might be you. Might you might be challenged by that? But the one that struck me uh, was this term meddler. Meddler. It's a funny old term, isn't it? A meddler. Are you a meddler? I was trying to work out how to apply uh, meddling. It means to interfere in other people's business. Perhaps we do that here in each other's business. But I wonder, all of these terms have to do with how we engage with the unbelieving world. And I wonder whether meddling Christians, uh, we can apply this to meddling Christians by joining, not joining in the backbiting in the office or not joining in the office politics or not joining in uh, the, the shooting down of friends when they're not there. I wonder whether it uh, means that. Perhaps it means when we project our Christian morality onto unbelieving friends. Perhaps that might be meddling. I know that I've been guilty of that in the past, projecting uh, my Christian morality on my unbelieving friends when all they need is the gospel. The gospel will sort out their morality and I shouldn't meddle in their morality. We're not to join them. But I wonder whether we're not to meddle in their morality as well. I'll leave you to mull that one over. I haven't got to the bottom of it. Mull that one over. Talk, talk, about, talk about it over supper. Over supper. Uh, we, are to, we are to see through uh, the ridicule uh, that God is with us. That he's not left us on his own. Uh, the, the persecution is a sign that we have the living God living in us. Well, finally, and much more briefly, uh, don't despair... God is restoring his creation. Don't despair. God is restoring his creation. It's very easy to despair, isn't it, when hard times come? But verse 17 reminds us that God is fixing up this creation. Let me read it. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? How is God fixing up his creation? Through judgment. Uh, one day God will judge our world and he will restore our world to the blueprint that he intended for it. And what Peter is saying here is the suffering that we experience in this life as Christian for Christ is a taster of that judgment to come. Now, I know when we hear the word judgment, we think hell and damnation and 
uh, horrible, fiery images come into our heads. But the way that God has always fixed up his world has been through judgment. All the way through the letter of 1 Peter, Peter's been referring back to the Exodus, where God rescued his people out of slavery in, in Egypt. Anyone remember how God rescued his people? Through judgment. He rescued his people through judgment. He rescued Noah out of a depraved and cruel world through judgment. And one day he will rescue his people from this cruel and depraved world through an ultimate ultimate judgment. He will restore this creation to the original blueprint, blueprint that he intended for it back in Genesis. I think that's why Peter calls God the faithful creator down in verse 19. The faithful creator is a weird title to use for God. But what he's saying is in judging the world, in letting us taste this judgment, he is restoring us. Like the old stately home that is being restored where it gets sandblasted, uh, it gets sandblasted and looks a mess with all the scaffolding all around. But then all of a sudden, the beauty is revealed as we see the work of the restorer completed. And one day we will see the work of the restorer completed. And none of us wants to go through tasting this judgment, do we? It's harsh and it's brutal. No one would say that they enjoy going through hard times. But many of us will say that we have seen God's faithful hand in those hard times as he molds us and shapes us and allows us to taste uh, this judgment that is to come as he smashes our idols, our false gods, and say, don't, don't, says, don't trust in those things. Uh, trust in me. We have that experience, don't we, as God goes through hard times, smashing our idols, putting up the scaffolding, sandblasting our morality and our souls. As he goes through the process of making us more like Jesus day after day until one day, Uh, we will go through that ultimate judgment because uh, we are in Jesus and we will be like Jesus forever. Now, verse 18, we need to look at that because that is a heavy verse. If a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's talking about that ultimate judgment. And he's saying all that opposes God will be sandblasted away. Everyone who opposes God on that last day will be sandblasted away. And that will be a heavy day for those who don't know Jesus. We're meant to feel the weight of that. And it's meant to spur us on to speak of Jesus, to share Jesus with those that don't know Jesus, to drive us to see our friends rescued by Jesus as we visibly live for Jesus and speak of Jesus and love like Jesus. Do you see why we can't be camouflaged Christians? Why we can't keep quiet about Jesus? Because people's souls depend on it for us to be visible Christians. Hard times will come. And Peter says, look through it. Look forward to that day when Jesus brings our inheritance. Look at that bigger picture. Well, just finally, as we wrap up, I just want us to look at verse 19, because verse 19 acts as a brilliant checklist for this week in inspiring hope in us. 
Uh, so get your, you can get your, your, your checkbox out. You should have some checkboxes. So uh, as you suffer this, let me read verse 19, then we'll, we'll look at it. So those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. So as you suffer this week, uh, as you suffer for Jesus this week, will you suffer according to God's will? Or will you freak out and panic? Will you know that God is in charge and in control? As you suffer this week, will you suffer doing good, speaking of Jesus, living for Jesus and loving like Jesus? Or will you chop him out of your life? Will you mute him and just keep your head down and put your camouflage on? And will you entrust yourself as you suffer to your faithful creator who has promised to deliver you and will deliver you to that new creation where there will be no more pain or crying, or mourning, or suffering. Let's pray. Our Father God, you know our struggles. You know our, you know our struggles. You know our trials. And we pray, Lord, that you might keep us, that you might keep hold of us tightly, keep us close to yourself, uh, keep us trusting you. Help us not to freak out. Help us not to be surprised. But know that you, your spirit rests upon us, and that you will keep us, you will deliver us, and we will one day enjoy a perfect creation with you for eternity. Amen.